Hello and welcome to Brothers Watching Disney Podcast. My name is Matt. And I'm Jeremy. We're two brothers who love to watch Disney movies. Alright everybody, welcome back. This week we are talking about Dumbo, the flying elephant. Now Dumbo, this is a particular favorite of mine growing up because you know, of course, we live very close to Walt Disney World. We would go all the time. No trip to Disney was complete without a ride on Dumbo the Flying Elephant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to love Disney Channel free preview weekends at cable because there was Dumbo Circus. It was this puppet show where Dumbo and all these other... I think Timothy was in there, but then there were other... Like, there was a, a lion who was the ringmaster, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was just all these characters. And Dumbo actually talked instead of being a silent protagonist. <laughs> I don't remember that show. That must have been a, a, an 80s thing. I, I was going to say, I think it was either before your time or you were too young. Gotcha. Yeah, I did actually put it on my notes, too, that uh, this is the first mute protagonist. We've had mute characters before, because we had Gideon and we had... Uh, Dopey. Dopey. Yeah, but this is the first protagonist who does not have a line of dialogue. If I remember correctly, first and only. That's possible. So, obviously, last episode was Fantasia, the longest Disney movie by time. Uh, this one, Dumbo, is the shortest single narrative story. Saludos Amigos, which was a package film was a little shorter at 42 minutes, but Dumbo comes in at 64 minutes, so you could even say it's the second shortest film overall. A couple other things is that we have uh, the first appearances of two major voice actors for Disney projects. Yeah. You've got Verna Felton. Uh, she voiced the head elephant, and she would go on to have, I mean, some pretty major characters. The Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland, the Fairy Godmother from Cinderella, Flora, the pink uh, fairy from Sleeping Beauty, and then Aunt Sarah from Lady and the Tramp. But this was her first project in a Disney film. And also, Verna Felton actually did the the one line of dialogue for Mrs. Jumbo as well. She did. Jumbo Jr. Uh, the next one, of course, is... A uh, future Disney legend, Sterling Holloway, who played the stork. He would be going to be the Cheshire Cat, and most famously would be Winnie the Pooh for a lot of the early the early years of Winnie the Pooh. Also Ka in Jungle Book. Yes. He was honored as a Disney legend in 1991. He was the very first voice actor to receive that. Uh, now we have a ton of them in the Disney legends, but Sterling Holloway was... The very, very first. Another interesting thing that I noticed about Dumbo is even though it's kind of a musical, most of the songs, with the exception of When I Seen an Elephant Fly, the vocals are not diegetic. Which, for anyone who is listening who doesn't exactly know that, diegetic means that you know where the source comes from. So in this one, there's not like somebody in the scene that is singing the lyrics. It's just people are it's people are singing over the movie. I'm fairly certain, unless you wanted to count the happy birthday that the stork sings on the train. But yeah, so in When I See an NFM Fly, the crows are the ones singing. Mm-hmm. So you know where the vocals are coming from. 
So that's just interesting, and it's something that's repeated in several other uh, Disney movies. In fact, one of my personal favorites from way on down in the year 2000, Tarzan, mm-hmm. uh, is a very similar situation. But we will get to that a lot later. Oh, actually, we'll be talking a little bit about that in our next film, Bambi, as well. One thing that I noticed, Dumbo is one of the few films that is set in relative present day. Yeah, I could see that. Because I think it's Dumbo, it's Oliver and Company. I do know that uh, Zootopia, in technical terms, would be considered modern day, even though it's in a separate universe. Well, Flying Elephant is certainly a separate universe as well, so... (laughs) Sure, sure, yeah. Oh, and another thing, too, is that at least at this point, it was the least expensive of the feature films. Mm -hmm. It was sub $1 million in budget. Which actually meant that for the first time since Snow White, had a movie in the black. Yes. Had a movie that actually earned money. For the first run. Yes. So Dumbo was profitable the first time around. Dumbo was going to be on the cover of... Uh, it was either Time or Life magazine. I think it was Time. I think you're right. In December of 1941. But then Pearl Harbor happened. I, mean, I just have to say, just at the top, I did not realize how nostalgic this movie was going to be for me. You know, I talked about it earlier in the podcast, but I was the the type of kid that I would pop in the VHS, I would watch it, and then I'd just rewind the VHS and watch it again. And so I would always have a movie that I would just see through the course of a week or two, you know, five, six, seven times. Uh-huh. And this, this had to be one of them. It's been 25 years probably since I've last seen the movie, but as I was watching it, I just felt, I got all of the that nostalgia coming back because I'm like, oh yeah, like listening to the music. I really love the music, especially when it's really circus themed and really light. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved the way the animation was. I think we talked about uh, this on one of the Fantasia segments, but we mentioned that, you know, the animation feels simple. Mm-hmm. You know, there was one point, the parade sequence for me, I was like, this feels like it could really just be a Disney short. It felt like that style Right. When you look at some of the other films, you're like, wow, they put a lot of effort into this animation. This one, it feels like they really scaled it back, really made it simple, and just let the story be the story. And I think that that just really struck with me. And as we go through, I'll talk about the things uh, that I really like. There is one thing in the movie that I don't like, but there's so many things in this movie that I really do like. Right. You were talking about the sort of the simplicity of a lot of the sequences. Again, that's not to discredit any of the work that was done. Uh, What is there is beautiful. What they did was they found a way to sort of simplify the process. They did a lot of watercolor backgrounds, Mm -hmm. which helps make the the foreground characters pop. Uh, There are a couple of sequences. I can can think of a couple offhand where the background is a solid color. There's no background. It's just the characters on the screen. Yeah. Like several close-ups in the parade. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the pink elephant sequence. Yes. There may be more than that. I just was so wrapped up in the story that I wasn't really watching <laughs> for details. I know that happened to me too, where I'm just like, oh, I'm like trying to keep notes. And I'm like, I was like, oh yeah. Even where it was like, oh, this thing's about to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like silly things, you know, like Dumbo's running around his mom's legs. And then it's like, oh, she's going to tap him with the trunk. And then he's going to like squeal. <laughs> I just like little things. And again, that came from the fact that I watched this movie 
a lot. I had to have watched it a lot mm-hmm. and then just like forgot how much I actually watched this movie. So when I sat there, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and maybe just because we were coming off of Fantasia with, you know, where you have to really be like intellectual <laughs> to, and really appreciate the music mm-hmm. uh, to, to step into this was just a breath of fresh air for me. I have a bit of a question for you. Shoot. What I've heard talking to different people and reading different things online, a lot of people have strong feelings one way or the other about the Pink Elephant sequence. Either they really enjoyed it or it creeped them out. <laughs> Which camp are you in? Okay. See, I'm trying to I'm trying to look back at think about like seven year old me as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely was not freaked out by it. Definitely was not. I think there's stuff that's strange. Mm-hmm. I'll say it like that. Uh, some things that definitely stand out to me go, okay, that's a little strange. Was like the the man made of elephant heads. It's a bipedal guy walking around, but he's got like an elephant head and then an elephant head chest, elephant head shoulders, you know. And then the other thing would be probably the one that was just weird to me was the elephant belly dancer with like the sash or whatever. Like those things are strange. I will say that as with a lot of this movie, I always thought it was longer when I was younger. I was surprised just how kind of how short it was, Uh you know. I mean, I guess if you had to say I had to pick a camp, I would say that I'm more in the camp of enjoyed it. Now, see, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm with you. I, when I was younger, I enjoyed Pink Elephants. I remember, you know, anticipating Pink Elephants coming. It's like, oh, here they come, here come the Pink Elephants. I, however, was creeped out by the, the Song of the Rastabouts at the beginning when they're building the tent. Yes, the Rastabouts song. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. But then again, like, and see, for me, I remember that more by the song. I ended up having captions on for this movie, which was, what was it? Whatever I was watching before, we put on captions. And so when I was watching it, then I actually got to see the the lyrics. But, you know, the only thing that I remember from that song was like the, you know, the huh, 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 like the, the rhythmic uh-huh. section of it. So for me, I never like saw it as a, um, as a scary sequence, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I, I don't remember being uh, like scared of the sequence. I, I'm not quite sure why I had a negative reaction to it before. Of course, now it's we have sort of bookend racial conversations. Song of the Rastabouts being, <laughs> being one of them, and then the uh, the crows being the other. Yes, which spoiler alert for everybody: the crows are the part that I take some umbrage with. Though I, I definitely agree. When I watched the Rastabouts, I was like, wait a second, like. It, it was one of those things where, you know, you see, like, the circus workers, but the ones, like, doing all the manual labors, and I even think some of the lyrics, too, if you were to look at the lyrics, I was like, wow, that's kind of, that's problematic. But I don't want to jump into that. I, I have some thoughts for, like, leading up to that, but we'll we'll get to the crows when we get to the crows. I will say, I was, I know that the thing that people say is I was today years old. Like, it was during this last viewing that I realized that the movie starts in Florida. Oh, yeah. I had I did not know. Oh, because uh, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey, I believe their summer home was in, I'll say, Fort Myers. This was definitely southern Florida, based on the map. And did you notice, I, I <laughs> just because I'm on a, you know, doing a podcast where we talk about things like this, and because we live in Florida, I actually paused and I looked at the road map where the stork is looking for 
where he's going. And, you know, he, he sings the part about Highway 61. And it intersects with a road going north and south that's labeled 75. Yeah, okay. For those of you that don't know, Interstate 75 does go north and south through Florida. Now, the, the path isn't accurate because 75 actually goes over to Tampa before it goes down to, to Naples and Fort Myers and then down to Miami. Now, the interesting part, 75 didn't open until 1955. So it predated, this predated the actual interstate. Yes. And at that time in 55, like I said, 75 goes over to Tampa. Tampa was the end of it in 55. It wasn't until 68 that they extended it the rest of the way down to Miami. Wow. So it just randomly labeled at 75. That's cool. Looking at the uh, the KC Jr. train, again, that's where the nostalgia just hit because I just love the little gags that they do and they keep going back to of like, let's look at the lions. Let's look at the hippos. You know, let's look at the giraffes mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we show where everybody is. I mean, really, honestly, I love all the gags. You know, this is the, the funniest movie to me since Snow White. I just, I really, really love it. Especially once you get Timothy Mouse in the show. Once he comes on board, I just absolutely love him. I think he's hilarious. You know, the way he scares all the uh, elephants is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And then, of course, um, absolute favorite scene with him has to be when he does, like, the Inception. It's the Inception scene. <laughs> Where the the ringmaster's asleep and he goes in and gives him he's like I'm your subconscious, and then he's just like Dumbo, and he gets like farther and farther Dumbo, <laughs> and then the other <laughs> Dumbo. I just oh my gosh that sequence was just like I'm like I love this sequence so much. Just absolutely great, uh, great character, great great character development. With Dumbo and Timothy and even just these little side characters that don't even get lines. They're just there and they just provide a little gag. And I know we've you know, sort of advanced in the movie a little beyond this, but is it just me or when you look at the stork, the, the, the one that brings Dumbo? Yeah. Do you just instantly think of the Vlasic Pickles stork? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, the skinny and he's got the hat. <laughs> Yes, yes. And again, Sterling Holloway just brings that that just like whimsical, like kindly voice. The scene where it's like, here, here's your package. And then he's like, here, sign here. You know, and he's like, one moment, please. Like, because Mrs. Jumbo is just like, let me open it up. And of course, I'm sitting there going like, I'm like, I'm like it's it's an elephant wrapped in a in a cloth. Can we please open it up so it can breathe? <laughs> it's like, he's got this whole rigmarole at... Meanwhile, all the other storks are just, nope, hippo with the parachute, boop, bombs away. Yeah. And it's like, why was he late? What was his deal? You know? Because well, he's apparently the, the by-the-book guy that, you know, he still keeps the, the manual in his pocket. Yeah. Like, he's still, he's still wearing the uniform. And we've all worked with, with this guy or somebody like this guy. You know, everybody else is just, it's like, all right, these parents want their babies. Let's get out there and do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I said, it's just such a funny movie. And then it comes and it like, it whips around on mm-hmm. you. Because like, you got the stork and then he's snatched away. And then you see Dumbo and you're like, oh, that's so cute. And then when they see the ears, the other elephants just turn on him. You know? Mm-hmm. And like, and you see that all the time. You see that every single, with very few exceptions, 
everybody who looks at Dumbo either sees him as, we'll specifically say, because I know the elephants say it, a freak, or they see him as something that can be used, used and abused. You know, granted, we're talking about the circus back in the 30s and 40s. <laughs> that was all the animals. <laughs> you know, we see during the, the working songs, you know, we talked about the song in the Rastabouts, the elephants are working just as hard as, if not harder than the people, because they're shoving all the different train cars around and... Well, uh, and in fact, that they had hammers at one point, too. I remember because Dumbo's got a little tiny hammer and he's like hitting every other swing that his mother's doing with no effect, of course. But, you know, and bopping himself in the forehead. <laughs> yes. This is another one of those movies that doesn't really have a major villain. You know, it's in the same vein as Pinocchio, where it's a coming of age where the main character has to kind of learn, learn to be in the world. And sort of overcome. I don't want to say the word disability but it's something that's initially viewed as a disability something that is you know he's looked down upon by the other elephants and then it is eventually turned into his greatest strength that's a great story too when you look at it like saying like hey if you have this i mean we can call his ears a disability because it did affect his ability to walk you know the story of like don't let people you know tear you down because of who you are and what your abilities may or may not be Mm -hmm. i mean it's a Huge important thing. Oh, yeah. And my notes, I noticed a lot, there are a lot of comparisons drawn between this story and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Okay. Because it's a young member of the species with a, let's say, a physical difference, initially mocked, but then they're embraced by the community because of, you know, they're able to turn that deformity into, you know, something to serve everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, Rudolph lighting the way for Santa sleigh and, and Dumbo flying and you know being a great draw for the circus right though it could be seen then that you know like that you can be different as long as you have some worth to give to society Mm -hmm. you know but again like saying like again is that you have to overcome those things and you have to Mm -hmm. you know not be brought down by whatever stereotype is pushed on you so this feels like a really good transition into the crows which i mean you and i both know it's a group of uh, i believe five crows they are all at that point modern day black stereotypes the leader was named jim crow which i mean for history lessons jim crow was the name of the was the name given to several laws that uh, upheld segregation and things like that which by the way was still legal at the time of this movie uh in one of the re-releases they tried to name him dandy crow but uh, obviously people still know him as jim crow the other thing that i do want to note is while the other crows were filmed by black voice actors in fact actually um one of them went on to to play uncle remus in the other blight of disney movies the song of the south jim crow is voiced by cliff edwards who was the voice of jiminy cricket and was a white man so now we kind of even throw in now that there's you know and i'm not trying to date this podcast too much but i know that there is some conversations going on about vocal blackface mm-hmm. you know that you are playing a character that is not your race or not your ethnicity and so you can even, you see it here, you know, as amazing as the, you know, I See Not Fly song is and how fun it is, you know, I mean, you have to cringe when, when they just go, I be done seeing about everything. It's just, it, it's really disappointing to see that. But then you go and you look at it in the way of these characters, stereotypes, when you take the stereotypes aside, they are the most sympathetic characters to Dumbo after Timothy. Exactly. 
And, and one other thing that I was thinking about regarding this scene uh, in preparation for recording this episode was that, you know, not only is, you know, segregation still legal, this is, you know, the time frame where Frank Sinatra is refusing to perform at certain hotels because they won't let Ella Fitzgerald or Sammy Davis stay or perform there. Or there were, there were certain hotels where they could perform, but they couldn't rent a room. You know, the, the fact that these characters are... You know, very clearly black and played by black actors, at least most of them, is, you know, very inclusive for the time, is how I'm going to phrase it. I could even see it, you know, we're going back to the idea of, like, finding use, you know, that we can let you in if there's use for you. And so that struck me, too, when I was thinking about this, is like, like, yeah, you've got black actors in here, but you've got black actors doing these stereotypes that were harmful to them at this time because they were useful because they had the, they were good voice actors and you know, they, I mean, I don't know how much they were paid, but obviously, you know, for them, it was one of those moments of, you know, do I, do I make money? And so that's kind of where, where I'm at with that is that, yeah, they're using black actors, but they're still, you know, perpetuating this stereotype that even now, you know, I can see people like, you know, bringing up this movie as like, wow, that's really, you know, insensitive or that's really problematic. I, I don't let this wreck Dumbo for me. I've heard the term come about a lot uh, in these recent times of nuance that when you look at things that are historical, a lot of people like to look at it as this is sacred versus this is horrible. And with things that are replaced in a historical context like these movies are, you have to look at it with nuance and go, yes, this part is bad. And you have to be able to, you know, we have to be able to talk to the next generation about why these things are bad, why these stereotypes and representations are harmful against the black community. But we have to look at it and go, this is how they treated it back in those days. Now, we are working towards getting better. And hopefully that can at least help people appreciate the movie itself without looking at this scene and writing everything off. Especially in the climate that we are today. It's such a tough thing to talk about. Uh, especially because you and I, you and I don't have that lot of stock. Yeah, we're, we're, we're two white dudes talking about racism. But... At the same time, one thing that we've learned throughout all of this is that what's important is the conversation. Rather than sweeping stuff under the rug, you know, we're taking time to address it. One other little little bit that I had, uh, we talked about the, the length of the film, you know, being a shorter one. And initially, the, the distributors were hesitant to release, you know, the movie as it was. They, they wanted to either stretch it out and make it into, you know, not that it's not a full feature, but make it into like 70, 80 minutes, or they wanted to cut it down and release it as a short. And Walt said, nope, I like it as it is. We're going to we're gonna go with this. I like that. I like that. And that decision has held up. I mean, like we discussed, this was the first movie at the turn of profit. Yeah. And it's it's still a beloved classic. Absolutely. And just you, you finish the movie feeling really good because you see the obstacles that have been overcome, you see the new friends, and you just, and again, you see acceptance and confidence within himself. You know, I mean, obviously they had the 
you know, the ending moved very, very fast mm-hmm. from, you know, when he was like, you know, he flew up in the treetops and like, okay, so you can fly. So then they are like, here, use this magic feather. Like they tried to, to help, you know, with this placebo, but then realized he had it all along. And then he's able to, you know, show the entire crowd who he is. Very similar to another circus centered movie from recently, The Greatest Showman, where there's people able to, you know, just kind of, you know, say that just because they're in a circus there doesn't mean they're not worthy of worth. I think overall it's just such a good message and it's such a fun film. Oh, absolutely. Balt had a great love of the circus. That's, you know, a lot of what inspired him to do. Disneyland informed some of his decisions. Originally, he was going to have a circus grounds within Disneyland. That's right. Uh, one year he actually had the circus. I want to say it was part of the Christmas celebration because, you know, Southern California, you can have a circus in December. Walt had a great love of the circus and it, it definitely comes across sort of a love letter to the, the best parts of the circus. We've got the, the music, which I know we touched on a very little bit at the beginning, but it's just very, very evocative of sort of the circus atmosphere. Just a, a great little film. Highly recommend yeah. You know, and it just I just popped in my head now that you were saying that. There was never like animal abuse in this film. The closest we came was the the elephants having to push around the carts in the the working sequence. But that's the way it was presented, at least the way I took it, was sort of a this is an all hands on deck sort of situation. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, so it really makes sense, you know, that Walt really loved the circus because he wanted to still paint them you know in a generally good light you know i have i have not seen uh, i know that there's a remake for this movie i've not seen it but i'm sure it's probably less glamorous of the circus but we'll maybe maybe we'll get around to that i don't know we haven't made plans for that but perhaps at some point in the future but yeah dumbo great film great film you've got to you need to be able to have conversations about parts of it but generally i think it's a really good film Join us next time. We're going to have one more film in the golden age of Disney animated features, and that is going to be the movie Bambi. So we'll see you guys next time on Brothers Watching Disney. If you enjoyed this episode, there are so many more Disney movies up ahead. Make sure you subscribe to keep up with our newest episodes. 